It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lock Talk Radio. Chris Knox with us from the Firearms Coalition, from the uh, 
Mr. Knox Klan. He's uh, agreed to come on this evening and speak with us. He'll be on a little bit later and talk about the uh, the latest book that he has out, which is uh, Neil Knox, The Gun Rights War. And uh, he'll be on in just a few minutes. We have a lot of stuff to get out. We had a great show last week. Uh, and then uh, thanks to everybody for uh, for the emails and uh, the comments on that. Uh, let's get started with the current schedule. Let's get that out because we've got a ton of events coming. Uh, and, you know, I always talk about it. I always mention <clears throat> how it was just yesterday. I'm telling you, it was just yesterday that we started out. We said, hey, let's uh, let's do 50 events in the year. Ooh. And uh, it was really exciting and, and scary. And, uh, and it seems uh, very overwhelming, <clears throat> like something we could never possibly do. Just yesterday, and now I'm looking at the schedule. We've got 50 events uh, just in one month, and no special month. I'm not talking about some all-hands-on-deck uh April 19th month. It's just a regular month. It's a regular month, 50 events. There is no longer a weekend in the United States of America where there is not an apple seed event running somewhere. And uh, and I can guarantee you it's not going to be a lonely event either because on that same weekend, there will be a dozen two dozen, even three dozen events running at other locations across the United States. There is no longer, think about that for a minute, about what I'm saying. There's no longer a weekend in the United States where there's not an Appleseed event running. Okay? There's no weekend where there's not an Appleseed event running. They tried to have one right after Christmas where there was no event running, and yet... Bob 210 and myself, we fill that one in. We jump right on it. There's no longer a weekend in the United States where there's not an Appleseed event, where you couldn't say, you know what, I'd love to go to an Appleseed event this weekend, but I know there's not one anywhere in the United States. Well, you know what, you're wrong. You're going to have about two dozen locations to pick. And... uh, I couldn't tell you how happy that makes me, how excited, how proud I am of all the people involved in the Alpha program, all the instructors, uh, all of the staff, the state coordinators, every single person involved with the program. Not to say that I don't, I, I don't want to try and wring every uh, every last minute of work and uh, and every bit I can get more from everyone, but. It seems like just yesterday, when 50 events for the whole year was a uh, a major thing. And now we're looking forward to uh, a year uh, upcoming with over 800 events. Heck, we're looking at one weekend. We're talking about 200 events, 200 simultaneous rifle marksmanship clinics going on across the United States. 200 simultaneous volleys in honor of the men and women who stood together on April 19th, 1775. Wow. You know, last year with 50 simultaneous events, that had never been done before in the United States. I can guarantee you 200 has never been done before. 
They've never had a lot, 200 events times, uh, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40 men and women together firing simultaneous volleys across the United States. We're talking about over 100,000 rounds in just a couple of seconds. That's a lot to think about. But it's due to the hard work of every person in this program, every person that, uh, that logs on every day, that uh, puts in their time at events, that uh, reads it, stays current on the forum, reads events that are upcoming, uh, do, doing what they can to promote them to push the program forward. Okay. <clears throat> this upcoming weekend, we've got quite a few events. Uh, it's actually in the cooler months, we do have a little bit of uh, uh, of a layoff of some of the sites because uh, once the snow begins to fall, some of the locations uh, become untenable. And so there are not as many folks outdoors shooting in the frozen winter. However, there are plenty of exceptions to that, as Dwarven One uh, would be glad to call in and tell you, because uh, those are the folks up in the Northeast who uh, have many times have uh, laid down in the heavy snow, have tromped uh, a path to the targets through the snow, so they can lay down below the snow level and shoot below the snow level into the targets uh, from the prone position. So it can certainly be done, but this time of year it does slack off a bit, but we still have quite a few events. Uh, let's start off with Albion, New York. That's the weekend of October 31st and 1st. That's the last weekend of October and the 1st day of November. Also on that weekend is Athens, Ohio, Carrollton, Kentucky, Castle Rock, Washington, Dulzura, California, Fresno, California, Hinkley, Minnesota, Jerome, Idaho, Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, and, and why does it not surprise me that there's a Kill Devil Hills in North Carolina? Uh, that, sounds, uh, that sounds like exactly where it should be. Santa Barbara, California. So it's all on the October 31st, first weekend. <clears throat> now going to the first uh, full weekend in November, that's the November 7th and 8th weekend. We have College Station, Texas, Hernando County, Florida, Maynardville, Tennessee, Miamisburg, Ohio, Ottawa, Illinois, Pittsburgh, Kansas, Ridgecrest, California, Salisaw, Oklahoma, Socorro, New Mexico, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Now we'll close out the November 7th and 8th weekend. Now moving up to the November 14th and 15th weekend, we have Augusta, Georgia, Bates City, Missouri, Boulder City, Nevada, Davila, Texas. That's right here. Now, we'll be having the Rifleman's Boot Camp the week preceding that. So the weekend of the 14th and 15th, the attendees of the Rifleman's Boot Camp will be newly hatted Orange Hat instructors, and they will be running the show that weekend. So if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to come and get involved, uh, the Rifleman's Boot Camp, Appleseed, the events that follow the 
Wasserman's Boot Camp are always exciting events. You have guys who have been working uh, six days as uh, hard as they can, uh, 70, 80, 90, 100 hours, uh, pouring themselves into this, learning to become instructors. And by Friday night, I'm telling you, the only thing they want to do is get on that line Saturday and teach. And uh, and I love that. I love the, the excitement that the new instructors have, the new instructors bring uh, to the events. So if you're in Texas, around Central Texas, around uh, that weekend, the 14th and 15th, stop on out so you can be involved in the uh, the first apple seed for those instructors. <clears throat> also, the weekend of 14th 15th, we have Fallon, Nevada, Glen Helen, California, Hartford, Connecticut, Harvard, Maine, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Lexington, Kentucky, Piru, California, Rama, Colorado, Spearfish, South Dakota, Stinson, West Virginia, Tacoa, Georgia, Yanceyville, North Carolina will end out the November 14th and 15th weekend. The weekend of the November 21st, 22nd begins in El Paso, Texas, followed by Fort Wayne, Indiana, Lemoore, California, Mannheim, Pennsylvania, Midland, Texas, and that uh, 21st, 22nd weekend will end with the Ramser, North Carolina event that weekend. We love Ramser. That's our home range. That's... Uh, that's one of my favorite ranges, and uh, I love Rancher. Beautiful, beautiful 500-meter range, pop-ups. Uh, everything there is very, very nice, and that is the uh, the birthplace of Appleseed. The next weekend will be November 28th, 29th. That starts out in Buckeye, Arizona, El Paso Community College, Texas. That is the indoor range that I've been telling you about. That's the El Paso Community College Law Enforcement Center. That's an indoor range. Now, if you use that range to get out of the heat back in the summer, you are more than welcome again to use it to get out of the cold now at the end of November. Uh, however, I'm going to caution you to make sure that uh, you pre-register for that event, as it's a 20-person uh, line. That's it. 20 persons, no more. Uh, <clears throat> you want to make sure that you have a place in the line. Here's what you do. You go to appleseedinfo.org, look up on the left hand, uh, the top of the left hand of the page, there'll be a tab there that says Appleseed. You click on that, you'll see a drop down menu. Go down that menu to schedule. Click on schedule, and that'll take you to the page that I'm reading from now. Once you're on that page, you'll look down and you'll find the location and the date, match the location and the date that you'd like to get, attend. And then just to the right of that will be two hot links. One says information. That will be information specific to the event that you're uh, considering attending. Then right next to that will, is a hot link that says register. When you click on that link, that link you can go to the, the uh, Eventbrite. That's the third-party uh, registration software that we use. Go to Eventbrite and pre-register, please. That does two things. One, it ensures that you have a place on the line. 
okay? You're not going to show up there and we'll say it's full, sorry. Uh, two, it lets us know how much gear to ship out. As I said earlier, the days of doing 50 shoots in a year are over. We're doing 50 in a month. We're doing hundreds and hundreds across the year. That leads to a great logistical uh, problems for us. Those of you that think that uh, the Apple Seed program is this, uh, is this huge uh, uh, multi-story concrete building uh, in uh, Virginia or in Washington right there next to the NRA, that's not the case. It's, uh, this is a grassroots all-volunteer effort, and that's who does the work, the volunteers. Now, to get all the equipment, supplies, etc., out, we got to know how many people are going to what events where so we can get the right amount of equipment there. Not only that, but in order for us to ensure that we have the correct uh, ratio of students to attendees, we need to know how many people are going to be there. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of airline flights, hotel rooms, uh, car rentals, etc., etc. And you can help us make this a lot easier by pre-registering. All right. Also on the weekend of November 28th, 29th is Lewiston, Idaho, Mayaka, Florida, and Riley, Indiana. That brings us to the month of December. The first weekend of December is Mechanicsville, Virginia, December 5th and 6th. So that takes us a full month ahead. All right. Now, last week we talked about... Uh, having a virtual muster night uh, for having uh, the folks online, uh, the folks from the forum, having those folks uh, all jump online uh, at once and, uh, and seeing if we couldn't have, uh, you know, if we couldn't break the December record, which shouldn't be too hard. And... Uh, we're going to keep working on that and let you know when uh, that's planned for and what events uh, we're planning for that. I'm trying to get the chat program to open up, and I don't know what uh, I don't know if any of you guys ever have any trouble with the chat the chat program the chat program. If you have any trouble with the chat program, uh, getting it to open up or not, and I don't know if that's because the seven o'clock slot is so popular at Blog Talk that. Uh, uh, that there are tens of thousands of people trying to uh, access a server at once, or if it's some problem that is peculiar to my computer. Uh, if you're trying to get online onto the chat program, uh, I don't know if it's already running or not. It may already be running, and I just can't see it uh, from my location. Uh, but uh, if you are, uh, usually it seems that it opens up for me a, a few minutes into the show. So I'll just keep refreshing it, trying to get up to get the uh, program to open up, so I can talk to you guys. Of course, now you know I can't talk and type at the same time, so I'll have to wait till uh, uh, Chris Knox comes on. He should be on in the next few minutes, and uh, we'll put him on the air. Uh, he's going to discuss uh, his new book, and I'm sure that he'd be glad uh, after we chat for a while. He'll be glad to take callers. So you guys know the call-in number. It's three four seven. 
347-308-8790. And hopefully uh, Karen is listening to the show and, and she's got the uh, chat program opening. I'm sure she'll post that number there for you guys online. And then uh, as soon as the chat program begins functioning and, uh, and I start talking to Chris, then I'll plug in the uh, website for <clears throat> for the book and uh, for the uh, Firearms Coalition, etc. All right. Now, next week, we're going to have, uh, if we can get all the tech stuff done, we're going to have the tapes from Fort Stewart. That's the audio tapes from Fort Stewart. That, uh, that were recorded there during the uh, apple seed that we had there for the uh, United States soldiers. <clears throat> we're going to have those on, and then those will be narrated by uh, Santa Martha and some of the other instructors who were there uh, instructing at the at the event. <clears throat> now, this is all uh, this will all be depending on whether or not I can get uh, uh, to get them to load up. Uh, correctly, so, but it should be done by then, and uh, that's what we have scheduled for this coming week. All right, right now, I would like to introduce you to uh, Mr. Chris Knox. Chris Knox, the son of Neil Knox, and uh, the whole Knox clan who run the uh, the Firearms Coalition, who are extremely devoted uh, gun rights advocates and uh, uh, truly, uh, I have a great deal amount of respect uh, for the whole family, and uh, I'd like to welcome you to the show, Mr. Knox. You're on the air. Hey, Scout. Thanks for thanks for having me on, and I appreciate it. And, uh, and well, as Dad used to say, when somebody called him Mr. Knox, well, he's been dead for years. But <laughs> I'm Chris. <laughs> All right, Chris. So it's uh, just uh, you know, it's part of my. My southern uh, upbringing. I, hey, it doesn't break it doesn't break anybody's jaw to say sir, and I appreciate it. That's fine. <laughs> well, We're, welcome uh, to the show. We sure are glad to have you. Uh, you've been a member of the forum for for well years now, and uh, and we've talked to you on and off the program, and I've spoken with you quite a bit, and I stay current reading your work, and uh, I've read your father's work all the time, read his columns in Shotgun News, and and your brother's work, and uh, I tell you, you guys uh, work tirelessly uh, in, in order to protect, protect, and uh, and get the informa- information out on all the Second Amendment issues, and we sure appreciate that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's uh, I don't know what it is. It's genetic. Um, Dad told uh, one of the stories that uh, we kind of tried to get it go a little bit viral. We pulled out of the book. It's the prologue to the book. Is a uh, story of Dad talking with a guy from Europe, uh, from Belgium, who talked about uh, the uh, he had seen the SS come rolling in and pull some friends of his out and machine gun the entire family because they could not produce a World War One model Luger that had been registered and it's registered so you should have it produce it now 
They couldn't do it, and they machine gunned the entire family in front of them. Now, now I've actually been trying to do some work to substantiate that story. Dad always wanted to do it. What Dad knew was that it had the ring of truth for him, and it was that it was hearing this guy, this corporal from Belgium in his unit, tell him that story with tears running down his face and dropping and dropping onto the barracks floor at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And that made an impression on a very young Mr. Neil Knox, and that was what turned him from being a casual gun owner into a Second Amendment advocate. And it also, um, I've got to think that it probably sparked a little bit of his interest. He was already crazy about guns. He just really enjoyed them. But it really, I, I think it gave him some focus. And um, it, I, I know that he he taught, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I don't think the Appleseed Project came along before he died, or it was it was in its infancy. It was, it was in its infancy, and, and he was already uh, he was already slowing down right at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, but I know that it's something that he would have thoroughly approved of, because this is uh, that I I call it purpose purpose driven riflery. It's going out and shooting with a purpose. It's not just a game. This is you were talking about the only sport endorsed by the founding fathers, and that's about it. Let your gun be your constant companion, and this is. Uh, this game is the most important game that Americans can can pick up. And a lot of times we tend to think that, oh, well, I'm a marksman by birthright. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're a gun owner by birthright. You're a you have the right to keep and bear arms by birth, but you don't become a marksman. You don't become a rifleman without training, and that's what Appleseed is all about, and that's why I think this is such a cool program. Well, that that is what we do, but uh, but and that is our that is our main purpose-driven thing is to create that machine which goes out and uh, grabs people and gives them a shake, pulls them off the couch, and says, "Listen, <clears throat> you have a sacred obligation to uh, your country," and uh, that involves several things. One of those is uh, to continue on, pass down the tradition of rifle marksmanship that our country has had since its inception. And the other is, is that you are the person who is responsible for safeguarding your rights. Not your mom, your dad, the milkman, your doctor, lawyers, your senator, anyone else. You. The responsibility falls squarely on your shoulders. You are responsible. And that's what we try to get the folks to understand. And then once they understand that, <clears throat> so then they have a uh, they have an obligation and a responsibility to find out what the issues are. We're not we're not going to be in the business of trying to uh, inform people what the issues are. We call it uh, uh, iceberging at times for our program because uh, what we're trying to do is change the whole outlook uh, of the nation. Uh, as far as uh, as far as how people look at their rights and understand their rights, because until they do that, there's always going to be an HB a House Bill 65. There's always going to be 
a continuation of this on and on and on forever until we change the fundamental attitude of Americans and make them understand uh, that uh, that guns are not inherently evil uh, any more than a screwdriver is, etc. And the job that you guys do is to inform them, uh, is to give them the actual working details of what is going on in the uh, the Second Amendment movement and what you're. You're exactly right there, and it is a—it's an obligation that we take very seriously, and it's something that has, uh, like I say, it's genetic or something. I don't know, but I can't explain it, it any better than anybody else. But we, um, what we do at the Firearms Coalition, is very much the same kind of thing that you do with riflery. We do—we try to do with politics. Um, we look to motivate people, get them off the couch, and uh, get informed, pick up the phone and call once in a while. And I don't mean forward every email about H.R. 45 that you get. (laughs) (laughs) That is not activism. In fact, blindly forwarding bad information can can actually hurt the cause. And that's one of the things that uh, that the, the way to do it is go get informed. And you can get informed in a number of places. Firearms Coalition is one of them. Gun Voter is another. We're trying to uh, push Gun Voter as a uh, as a way to uh, kind of build this thing up at a, at a grassroots level. But what's going on in your city council election? What's going on in your county supervisor election? What's going on at the state? And if you can, um, if you find out something new, you've got you've got a good guy running for uh, for uh, the county board for the school board. Heck, put it get onto gunvoter.org and uh, and uh, put a plug in for him. And let your friends know that this is a place where you can find out more information. Now we're we are starting slow, and we're um, we're it's. We haven't. I'll be honest. We haven't really uh, hit critical mass on gun voter. I'd like to take this thing further and get uh, build the excitement out there. Get the uh, get the view that uh, I'm taking responsibility for my candidates, and these are and this is how they are, and and, uh, and it's not. And I'm not really filtering somebody else's uh, rating. If you go out onto the to the web and you start looking at some of the different candidates, you'll find that some well, Newt Gingrich endorsed a liberal, whatever that means, Republican, where uh, the conservative movement has endorsed somebody different, and so you can two people can have the can have very different ratings, two people with similar outlooks, and uh, GOA has given some some politicians very low grades and uh, NRA has given them very high grades but we'd like to get down into more of what's behind the grade I really I'm not real comfortable just throwing a letter at somebody and say yeah he's an A we got to have him well right. what makes him an A and let's look at some of the and is it is it just the voting record could it be something more complex sometimes these guys will shroud their voting record behind Deals and uh, paired votes, and they'll have a great-looking voting record, 
uh, in a recent column in Shotgun News, we talked about uh, how you can uh, sometimes the voting record itself can conceal um, as much as it reveals. So th there are games out there, and so what is more important is the pattern. What is the guy really doing? What's he? What's he? Uh, what's he been uh, what's doing? What's he moving? Yeah, exactly. And what's yeah, when I talk to the folks him? here, and I tell them that. Uh, your most important thing, you know, a lot of people have, uh, over the years have confused uh, the OPSI program with uh, a, as to, as thinking that it was presenting itself as a deterrent by force of, uh, of a group of men having rifles in their hand. Uh, they were going to, in, in some way, uh, deter the government from doing something, which is, uh, which is absolutely wrong. And uh, no part of our program. Our deterrence comes from uh, informing the people that their power doesn't come from the barrel of a rifle. Their power comes from their mind, from their vote, from their call to their senators. And I tell them the same thing. I go, listen, start. The Apple C program is supposed to be locally owned and operated. That's where we're. That's where we're heading to. Is where if you uh, if you want to find out uh, where the next event is or who. Uh, where you should start looking for information on who to vote for, uh, you shouldn't have to go more than uh, two or three houses down. And uh, whenever I tell folks about their obligation to vote, I said, you don't have to, you need to make informed decisions. But you don't have to let the, the fact that there are hundreds of uh, senators out there, uh, you know, hundreds of congressmen, et cetera, et cetera, out there, uh, make you feel intimidated or confused because you don't have to worry about them. All you need to worry about is, just like you were speaking about earlier, make sure that you know who in your county you can vote for, who in your city you vote for, who in your state you vote for. Don't worry about the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the folks. Make sure that, that, make sure that you know who you are voting for. And uh, that, <laughs> that's a lot easier uh, uh, task and trying to figure out the the whole picture at once. Start off yeah. with uh, your locals, and then go from there. Tip O'Neill was a uh, he was the Speaker of the House back in the uh, well before Gingrich. He was the Speaker of the House when the quote quote assault weapons ban. Uh, no, he wasn't. That was Foley. He was Speaker before Foley. He was Speaker before Foley. In any case, former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill was. Um, famous for saying all politics is local and yeah. that is one and you raised a really important point if you've got a guy that you think is good that's running in your in your district the best way that you can multiply your vote is to talk to when you're talking to prince joe splivens is i know him he's a good guy or i know of him i've seen what he's done he's he's done the right things and he's a good guy Conver and the converse is true. You can say, you know, we got we got a contest here between Tweedledum and Tweedledumer, and you can vote for one, the other, or you can go a third party. And sometimes third party is just really it's an endorsement of the other. And I I tend to vote libertarian if I can do it without damaging the real politics. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder to distinguish one party from the other. Exactly. Uh, they're starting to blend. But I tell people about the the same way that 
I talk about the Appleseed program, and is, don't think about this as a uh, as a race, as a dash. Think about this as a marathon. We're in this for the duration, and you have to think about your local and uh, and higher politics in the same way. Politicians don't just uh, jump onto the uh, they don't jump onto the arena as far as becoming senators or congressmen uh, out of the blue. They always start somewhere. So what you have to be doing is thinking ahead and planning ahead. Start getting these guys uh, into the lower level, the lower echelon of politics. Start getting them in there so they can be working their way up the ranks to support you uh, You know when they do graduate and eventually become senators, congressmen, vice presidents, and presidents. Uh, you know, you've got to start locally and, and be pushing them uh, and supporting them the whole time. You, you, and you know you raise a you raise a great point. And there's one thing that uh, and if somebody really wants this to the next level, and I recommend it. I'm uh, I'm remiss. I've got a resolution to get uh, to get more involved in uh, my own local politics. And that is one way to do that is to become a precinct committeeman. And usually, it's a matter of. And if you look down, way down at the ballot, at the bottom of the ballot, you'll see precinct committeemen. And usually there will be four slots and only one or two names on it. And that is your neighborhood. And if you go in and if you show up at a precinct committee meeting and tell them you want to, be, you want to become a member, you will find a, a loop dabbed around you, and they will reel you right in. That is one way to get very involved. Much like the Appleseed program, but it's a way to be. Uh, but you can budget the time. It's a way to um, to really have an effect. But not everybody needs to do that. Not everybody's cut out to do it. I'll grant you. You know, and I've, I've got some some of my good friends that I just assume not have them up at the precinct committeemen because they probably scare people to death. I hear you. But. <laughs> There is there's a place you know, and to every to everybody everybody can find a job and find the what they're capable of doing and and capable of doing well. There's, there's always a place. And listen, I one of the things I tell the people here on the program, and uh, <coughs> and it's because I've I've spoken uh, to the uh, staff at the senators and congressmen's uh, offices. And that is, a lot of people think that uh, they're not going to get involved. They're not going to call or write their senator or congressman because what does it matter? I'm just one person. I, what, what is my what is my opinion going to do? And I tell them a lot. It's going to do a lot because so many of your fellow, uh, your neighbors, your uh, your countrymen are so lazy that they're never going to contract their uh, representatives. So what they've done is they've worked out a, a actually worked out a program so that they can tell out of how many people who call how many of those uh, few that call actually represent. So that is a way that you can multiply uh, your voice. You call in and you let them know, and they know that uh, only one person in uh, five thousand is going to call in. Uh, maybe in a big city, or maybe one in one in five hundred. Uh, you know, in a smaller, uh, in some of the smaller locations, they know that only that many are going to call in. So every time you call in, your voice is no longer just one person 
Your voice is actually that of uh, 500 to to 5,000 people. Uh, and the folks, the staff at the who answer the phones here at your uh, at your reps' offices, they have to listen to you. But you have to be polite. You can't call up screaming or yelling or threatening. But as long as you speak politely, let them know what your wishes are. Uh, they have to listen to you. And I consider it a disservice to your representative if you don't call. Because if you don't call, how is he going to know what he's supposed to do to keep his cushy job? And believe me, that's the main motivator for most of these guys is they want to keep their job. They want to keep the the benefits. You you just put your finger on a point that Dad often raised, and and I've included some discussion of that in the book. It talks about the... The fact that a politician's number one asset is his ability to be elected. And you'll notice that the Democrats tiptoe very carefully around the whole question of gun control. And they won't even use the term anymore. They may say gun safety or common sense gun laws, and then usually meaning a ban. Um, but and the the Democrats the Republicans are by no means pure here, but the Democrats are uh, they're a whole other issue. But the um, they are very careful about it because they remember 1994, and what happened in 1994 was they passed the was the last time that a really important gun law passed. That's 15 years ago now. But that gun law was the the so-called assault weapons ban, which banned your 15-round magazine in your in your Glock. It banned the uh, it gave you AK-47s with quote thumb hole stocks. It was just a stick that con- connected the pistol grip to the to the butt of the stock. A lot of cosmetic features and a lot of cosmetic changes, and then. People discovered, oh my, it doesn't mean that much. And it also, from that was born something called the angry white male voter. And <laughs> that's what they called it. And that was that was the demographic that they were freaking out over. It used to be they had the, they were talking about another demographic, the soccer moms, the whatever. But it. The the name that you have, one that they were trying for uh, a couple of years ago, was the NASCAR dads. And I think they're a little bit less threatening than the angry white male. And, you know, and I, I don't like it that they stereotyped it down to uh, whether white or black or that they put it into race, but it is still an angry male. And... Angry males should act as angry males do, find the most effective course of action, and take care of it. And in 1994, we did it. Uh, oh, yeah. Unseated a, a sitting Speaker of the House. First time that had been done since the, since the uh, Falderall in the lead-up to the uh, Great War of Northern Aggression. Oh, yeah, and that, so, that shook everybody down to the core. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that we can't rest on that laurel, and quite frankly, we have. We have been, and that's why we are where we are now. Yeah, and uh, we may have a really good chance 
in the election coming up in 2010, there may be a chance to make some substantive changes and perhaps to fire a couple of shots across the Democrats' bows, and figuratively speaking, as always. But this is, in fact, this year we've got a couple of elections. There's an election in Virginia. There's another one in New Jersey. If the Republicans are elected in Virginia, if the more conservative candidate is elected, then they will deny that this is any kind of referendum on Obama. And if the Democrat wins, then it's going to be cited as why Obama is doing exactly the right thing and why he needs to win. That's pretty much the way that kind of thing works, playing an expectations game. But by the same token, the pros know what's going on. Right. And we have – well, the conservatives and the Republicans, what I've always seen is – I don't think it's laziness. I think a part of it is the fact that I think that the conservatives a lot of times have a hard time getting the idea, getting the fact that they get into – they will get into power, they'll get elected, and they'll think that now things have been made right and that that's the way they're going to be because certainly people aren't going to try and do evil or malicious things. They just – I think a lot of times conservatives have a hard time getting their mind around the fact that people will do that, and they think that people are basically good and that they'll basically do the right thing. And then you get like a McCain-Feingold push through because everybody says, of course that won't happen because that goes straight against the Constitution. So there's no way that will happen. So we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it will never happen. Or the Patriot Act, which permits sneak and peek warrants that the FBI can come and not knock on your door and serve a search warrant, but come break into your house, sneak around, look at stuff, and leave without leaving a sign they've been there. Right. Because basically – basically they say, you know, they're good. People are good so that they won't use it for evil. And the fact is that you're going to have to get your mind around the fact that you need to always be thinking about the lowest common denominator and understanding that they can be used against you in a heartbeat. The first item in the book is a – in the book, Neil Knox, The Gun Rights War, is a – goes all the way back to 1966. This was a piece from Guns Magazine. The editor pulled it out in order to run this piece. And the name of the article is Goodbye Gun Shows. And this is back in 1966. A Treasury agent decided that – and I think under prodding from his bosses, decided to say that nobody with a dealer license could trade guns at a gun show. And it created – it created a stir, to say the least. And the law that was being considered right then at the time, Dad was the founding editor of Gun Week, and he was watching the 1968 Gun Control Act develop on a daily basis and reporting on it weekly. But he was – it was 
developing daily. And he was in the middle of that mix, and he got inside of that bill and knew it inside and out, which is why he became the architect of the law's undoing, which was the Firearms Owners Protection Act, uh, the McClure-Volkmer bill. But it was that bill was drafted at his desk with his based on his outline. But yeah, I was he, only eight. I was only eight at the time that was going on. But I've since gone back and read and learned about your father's involvement in that and how much how much we owe uh, to to your father uh, to all the folks working with him on uh, on stopping what could have been a huge disaster. Well, I appreciate that. And and back in the um uh, back in the, to to take this all the way back where I was talking about this this piece from uh, 1966 ends with a quote from Lyndon Bain Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson of all people, saying that you you have to you can't judge a law by how good men would enforce it. You have to judge a law based on how bad men would enforce it. The 1968 Gun Control Act brought us things like the 1971 invasion and shooting of Ken Ballou, who was the guy that was alleged to have he he well he had a paperweight it was an inert grenade somebody thought he had a grenade they broke into his house and shot him in the head wrecked his life and this was agents of the what would become the Bureau of Alcohol Tobacco and Firearms so this is a history that goes back a long ways and as as you've said the uh uh before when I was starting to try to listen to the show and I found myself listening to Aaron Zellman's. <laughs> but the um the history of a um those who don't have a history to read, those who don't who ignore the lessons of history are doomed to repeat it. And well Mr Santiana's quote also applies to those who don't have a history to read. And that is one of the reasons that uh, that I packaged up uh, Dad's writing from uh, just about 35 years worth of his writing and uh, put it into the book. It's pretty much the very core. There's a lot of others out. There's a lot of other stuff out there, but this is the core of his writing for uh, 35 years and covering a lot of subjects, um, including how to be the gun lobby. Uh, and how to, and also um, some of the more controversial, certainly within the the fold, is the uh, discussions of his relationships with the NRA. And uh, by the way, before anybody says that I'm an NRA basher, I'm a endowment <laughs> member of NRA, and I think that every gun owner should be a member of NRA. But I also think that every gun owner needs to let the NRA leadership know that it's their association, not the NRA leaderships, and that's not the boards, doesn't belong to the, or its vendors. The NRA belongs to its members. The members, exactly, just like the nation. Uh, you know, the people the people here, if they, if they understood, and, uh, and I'm hoping that they will, if they understood that the government belonged to them. The government is not... Uh, your senator, it's not uh, a 
the alphabet organization. It's not the president. It's not the vice president. It's not your congressman. The government is you. You are the government. And by gosh, those folks that are up there representing you, they serve at your leisure. And uh, if they're not doing what you want, then it's your duty to get rid of them and get rid of the person that is doing what is right, what the Constitution uh, calls for them to do. You know, you brought up earlier that uh, that the work that your father was doing, and then, of course, Mr. Zellman, uh, and what your father heard about the uh, atrocities committed by the Germans by Hitler. And of course, the first thing he did was uh, register and then outlaw firearms. They think that that is ancient history. A lot of people don't even know that that occurred in the first place, but they think that that is ancient history that occurred in some backwards nation, and they couldn't be further from the truth. This was a country of cultured, educated people, a country where you would think that nothing like this could ever happen, and yet it did. And there are people still alive that went through that. There are people still alive that went through that, that uh, that were part of that uh, of that craziness that eventually ended up killing 100 million people. And that's one of the first things they started with. And if you think that it can't happen, oh, I would like to think that it couldn't happen here. But I can tell you I that, that it couldn't. I can tell you that it's uh, it's never more than a few signatures away from happening. Yeah, the the well, there are the aberrations, the atrocities that happen here. We've seen Waco and Ruby Ridge here, and uh, we've seen uh, gun owners get scapegoated for the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, and. That is a um, uh, there's this uh, all of the our friends at the Southern Poverty Law Center who are quick to conflate gun ownership, gun rights activism, and um, willingness to follow federal law. In other words, the fact that you and I are both members of the unorganized militia then if we if we even take note of that fact, then we are obviously racist, obviously uh, horrible people who are look just looking for an excuse to start shooting government officials and start and start bombing daycare centers. Right. And we have there's nothing we can do about it since it's uh, provided for in our constitution. There's there's no way out of it. Yeah, it's it's something that it's something that we are that we owe by dent of history, by uh, going all the way back to uh, English common law. So this is nothing new, and it's nothing that is um, uh, it, it, it's nothing that should shock anyone. But the fact is, we are responsible for our own freedom. We are responsible for our nation, and uh, the. Uh, the ideas of government of the people and by the people, and that's what we're here for. And uh, I think that uh, the point that you brought up about about doing your homework, don't just uh, don't take someone don't take someone at their word, because Lord knows uh, it seems every politician 
has become a master of the, the word twist and the, the sentence twist and the idea twist. They've become absolutely masters of it. And check out their voting records. And it's easy to do. It sounds like it's complicated, but it's not. There are plenty of organizations, your organization, as a matter of fact, which uh, can point folks in the right direction. Don't take folks at their words. Don't take organizations at their words. You know, uh, when was it? Uh, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Uh, there, there are even uh, uh, gun rights organizations that they're absolutely fake that have started up, uh, you know, to, to supposedly pro-gun to endorse candidates. And uh, I'm sure plenty of folks uh, uh, who didn't do their homework, uh, you know, are, are have been taken in by them. There's, uh, oh, what well, is I'll, the... I'll, I'll say one by name. There's American Hunters and Shooters. Yeah, the HSA. Uh, that's that's got to be one of the biggest uh, frauds out there, but the American Hunters and Shooters. Now, you go to their website, and it looks exactly like a great pro-gun website uh, organization, and yet there's no disputing they're completely connected to anti-gunning. Well, and it's really funny. um, If you look behind it, I've dug into their their, – I'm an IT IT guy in my day job, and I started digging into their their hosting. And – uh, they are hosted by a by the same organization, or at least they were when I was looking. They're hosted by the same organization. It's by basically, it's a Democratic Party front um, that also fronts the Brady Bunch. Right. I just pulled them up. I'm looking at it now, and uh, that's it. They uh, let's see. They're major contributors. All the anti-gunners, Diane Feinstein, uh, uh, yeah, Handgun Control Inc., uh, you name it, they're contributing. Also, the, uh, the board member, John Rosenthal, he remains the leader of Stop Handgun Violence, an anti-gun group in Massachusetts. And uh, one of the organizers for AHSA is Bob Ricker, who is a paid expert witness against gun manufacturers in lawsuits. And, that's and Bob, this is just the Bob Ricker, and Bob Ricker was actually formerly an NRA employee, which is one of the problems that I have with NRA. There's a, you know, there's the term professionalism that um, it can mean really good things, but it can also mean bad things. There's a, in the sense of professional, being professional and being courteous and polite. That's good professionalism. There's also courteous and there's also being really good at your job. That's also professionalism. But there's a sense of professionalism that says we are the pros, we know how to do it, and you don't stay out of it. Right, the elitism. That is exactly right. And that is one of the risks that NRA faces right now is that, in fact, my brother Jeff pulled up up an ad for uh, NRA was – hiring a lobbyist, and they said that they really weren't looking for somebody who knew about guns. They were looking for somebody who knew Washington. The trouble is, if you don't know guns, if you don't understand guns, 
you aren't going to know how to debate the gun issue. You are not going to know how to represent the gun the gun culture, if I, if I may. Right. That was the one thing that Dad brought to the table that did not exist at the, at the time that he came in was not being effectively represented, and that is the view of the gunny. Dad shot every type of discipline there was. The only, one, the only discipline I know for a fact that he did not shoot was biathlon. I really can't see Dad strapping on a pair of cross-country skis. <laughs> going no skis you. and take it off? Yeah. He had a lot of respect for it, but he did. But he he wasn't going to go do it. But he and Jim Carmichael. But he was a he was a shooter. He and Jim Carmichael just on a lark. Uh, I think it was in 1972. They went uh, down to Tucson to shoot the thousand yard match down there. They were holding the regionals, and they just went down there to shoot. And. Uh, there was one team, the reigning champions were also shooting. P.J. Wright and uh, Middleton Tompkins were shooting. And so they got out there and shot with them and ended up taking home the first place trophy. <laughs> <laughs> and now, to my knowledge, now Dad was a pretty shrewd competitor, too. To my knowledge, I don't know that he ever competed in 1,000-yard again. But he he did go and uh, mess up their playpen a little bit there. It was, well, his, uh, that's the problem with that's the problem with taking that taking the prize right off the bat is uh, is where do you where do you have to go after that? You know you <laughs> you might want yeah. to put that one up on the shelf and just let it sit there. That's right. That's right. That's kind of what he and Jim did. I don't I don't know if Jim ever shot any thousand yard after that either. <laughs> well. I, and I think that your point is extremely valid, and uh, I can see in one way how it was made, uh, or how a mistake was made just recently when Mr. Zumbo uh, spoke out about, uh, uh, I don't know what, what what he was calling them, the assault rifles, and uh, and that caused him a lot of grief. And well, and, and you know, and I've talked to him. I've, uh, I, I talked to him at the SHOT Show uh, a couple of years ago. And he got, you know, I, one thing, and this is, this is one thing that I want to make clear uh, to everyone listening, is that I don't, um, um, I'm, you know, if, if somebody makes a mistake, then I believe in calling them out. And uh, but Jim Zumbo is, has pretty much he got educated, he learned from it, and he went back and, and he is he, he now understands and he's a hunting guy. Right. And well, what I'm saying is it is it, it I don't I don't consider what he did any kind of a uh, any kind of a horrible thing. I'm just saying that if you don't understand about the issues and the rights uh, gun rights and stuff. It's very easy for you to make a mistake, and that's why you need folks like you were saying who understand shooting, who under who are gun people, not Washington people. Right, and th- that is, and that's really what Dad did. Um, well, he, to his view, and it's very much what we've been saying is that the grassroots owns the the members own the NRA. The grassroots own this country. Doesn't belong to the Republican Party, doesn't belong to the Democrats, doesn't belong to the House of Representatives, doesn't belong to Congress. It belongs to the people. And 
he uh, he made the point. Now, this is some go back and starting to sound like my dad. I always want to go back and talk, talk about the history, but the history is important. And um, you're talking to an organization who's who is based in history. So exactly. Don't ever worry about going back and talking about history. We love exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Well, this is recent. This is fairly recent history. This is going back back in the days before in uh, the early back up to the early 70s. Um, the NRA would tend to well NRA executives would say well there's no such thing as a gun lobby and they would say that in all seriousness and I and dad and I were talking one time and I said you know it sounds like uh, they sound like the old mafiosi back in the day like Frank Sinatra saying <laughs> you know there's no such thing as a mafia and and dad said yeah the difference is the NRA guys are telling the truth that was because the NRA, at that time, back in the uh, back in the 60s and the 70s, the NRA lobby was very klutzy. They put out bad information. They had uh, they were underfunded, understaffed, and misstaffed. They had the wrong people there. And NRA itself really wanted to get out of the business of politics. And so. They there were rumors that they were going to sell the building and move out of Washington D.C. Maybe go someplace pleasant like Colorado Springs. And uh, the NRA brass denied it, denied it, denied it until they put the building up for sale and started to move to Colorado Springs. That led to the uh, 1977 Cincinnati meeting, uh, where Neil Knox read in the resolutions, but it was not his thing. He had. Uh, in fact, he didn't really want to be the guy that was leading it, but um, Bill Greif uh, whispered in his ear and told him enough of this democracy something, and uh, we need, tonight we need Napoleon, and you're it. And so he ended up, They in, the members exerted a great deal of power in those days, and they, uh, they uh, took the... NRA back. Then uh, eventually, Dad went to meet with the to he when he went to Isla. Uh, Harlan Carter prevailed on him to come to Isla. He really didn't want to. He had a nice job. He was driving a company truck and flying a company airplane and uh, wearing cowboy boots to work. And he had, and he ended up having to commute through D.C. traffic and and wear a suit and tie. So uh, when he got there, he, there was a grassroots breakfast. It was one of the first official acts at NRA. And he got out there, and this was an organization that had previously sworn there is no gun lobby, and he looked out at the grassroots, and he said, good morning, gun lobby. Yeah. And they were shocked. There was this a couple of heartbeats of silence, and then the house, they brought the house down. Yep, they yep they brought the house down because that that was it. That's the way it's supposed to be. So professionalism, the professional lobbyist, the professional, the pros from Dover. Somebody comes up and gives you the headquarters mentality. You know, it might they might not be having they might not have your best interests in hand, and it may not be that they. Don't have that they don't want to do a good job. It may be that they just simply don't understand. There's a um, 
there's a book by Chris Matthews. Uh, in fact, it's what he names his program after. It's called Hardball by Chris Matthews, and it's a book about how to practice politics. And it is hardball politics. And one of his points in there, now Matthews is a pro. I mean, he comes from, he, he used to work for Tip O'Neill. And anybody who works for Tip O'Neill, if they start talking politics, you should probably listen to them if they're going to tell you how to do it, you know. Maybe they don't know anything about the rights of man and all that, but if they're talking about the practice of politics, they probably know something. Right. But one of his points that that he made that never works with the gun rights issue is he said, concede the principle. We cannot afford to concede the principle because if we concede the principle, we are now playing a war of attrition. If I say, if I concede that, oh, well, maybe you can reduce some crime by having some restrictions on some guns, well, then it becomes the discussion of, well, maybe I can reduce more crime by having more restrictions on more guns. And it's a Certainly. false proposition to begin with, but that is that is what you you face. And it's like the old joke about, uh, will you sleep with me for five dollars? Of course not. What do you think I am? Well, what about a million dollars? Well, I, maybe I'd think about it. Okay, now we're bargaining. We're bargaining on price. Yeah, that's it. So you, you, so you once changed the over. Once the principle has been broken. You are there, and that's one thing that I've noticed that in the um, in the great debate over gun rights these days, the other side, the anti-gun side, will not talk about the usefulness of guns in self-defense or the usefulness of guns or the history of it. They used to talk about it. They used to concede that principle. They don't anymore, and that's oh, changed. No. No, they won't do it. No matter what the, no matter what the actual uh, uh, statistics on it are, and the statistics are are right out there in full view. And I think the the major problem with that, and I, I'm going to say, I'll go ahead and say, I think the major problem with our country right now is the media. That's the problem with our country that we the country depends on the media to educate them because they've become lazy and apathetic and they're not going to try and go and find out anything unless it's brought to them by their uh, by their little square box that they're laying in front of. And the media is controlled by the left. So they, they refuse to put out any of the statistics showing the uh, million uh, times that firearms are used uh, to prevent crime and instead focus on the single crime committed by one crazy person. Well, and this is and this goes back to um uh, Stalin did said one a million people a million people dead is a statistic. Right. One mother's son dead is a tragedy. And right. so if you can focus if you can get them to focus on that tragedy and if you can get and if you can um uh, uh up my water I'm holding forth here. But if you can get them to focus on the tragedy, if you can look at that one, if it saves just one life, then you're you're sliding down that slippery slope. And when you're on that slope, it's that slope is steep and slippery. And that is, but that is why you won't hear the other side even concede that even a shadow of the of the utility of guns 
where back in the day, Pete Shields, Dad and Pete Shields used to talk all the time. It was really funny. He was the, uh, at the time, he was the chairman of National Coalition to Ban Handguns. And uh, they used to talk all the time. They'd kind of leak things to each other and kind of, they, they, they used each other, you know, and it was it was um, it was a Cold War thing. You talk to your talk to your enemy, know sure. who he is, and uh, but Pete would Dad would never didn't like to debate Pete unless he knew what he was knew where he was going because Pete would make up statistics out of the blue and just, it was <laughs> you never knew what he was going to say, but you had to be ready with him. Well, I I wrote a uh, thread. Of course, uh, uh, who runs the Apathy Project here with us, and uh, who started the Apathy Project? We also have a we have a blog that runs uh, uh, with the site. It's uh, apathyinfo.org backslash blog. And uh, he wrote a he posted uh, he did a post uh, yesterday or the day before, I believe, and it concerned a YouTube video which uh, showed these folks. In Somalia, going to the uh, the gun uh, markets there, and uh, they were just uh, on and on about, oh, you can get this, you can get these uh, for two hundred dollars, you can buy a machine gun here, and there's thousands and thousands of them. Uh, the whole time, with the inference that that's that's what's causing the problems there, are all the uh, all the firearms and the very uh, presence of it, just the presence of it, yep. and. Uh, you know, I I thought about that, and I thought about it, and I I realized that it it was only a couple of years ago that, uh, and just a few miles from there, from their countrymen, the Rwandans uh, managed to, uh, in the space of just a uh, just a very short period, they managed to murder five hundred thousand uh, of their countrymen, and guess what? They had few to no firearms. They didn't use firearms. Why? Uh, because they were, being an agrarian society, they had plenty of tools, machetes, hoes, pitchforks, etc. And that's what they used, 500,000 people. Now, that's, no, you, that's work. It is indeed. You, you, you bring up Somalia, and uh, Dad did an interview with, um, with the Wall Street Journal back in about 1994. This is in 92. And um, it was a really it, it, it was one remark in there. He had suggested that um, well, they, they he said, uh, are the people in Somalia armed? And Dad said, well, th- that's the trouble with Somalia is that the people are not armed. Who the people who have the guns are the UN people who are never in the right place. And the thugs, but we don't have the people with guns. And so, what if they were to? He said, "I think that we might see a different outcome if you were to take some of these these Somalian mothers who just got through walking a hundred miles or more to get to a refuge, to get to an aid station, and there." They find that these uh, these thugs are are stealing the children's uh, the children's food. What if some of those mothers were given the AK-47s they took away from the thugs and stand them out there? This is how you use it. Now, 
if the guys come up here and want to take it, you shoot them. And uh, it was uh, the Wall Street Journal ran it that Neil Knox wanted to arm the Somalian mothers. Well, the, the story <laughs> did have... But they, had, the, they had a grain of truth somewhere in there. there yeah, there was, a, there was a grain. The funny thing about it is that, uh, several years later, uh, I picked up a National Geographic, and in the National Geographic, there was this picture of these little peasant women in Peru, and they're all leaning on shotguns, and they they look rather like brooms. You know, they're, 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 the way they're yeah, holding Yeah, really, the tall, long-barreled shotguns, huh? Yeah, well, there's... Uh, no, it's more like just the, the they're holding them and they're they're holding them like implements. Oh, uh-huh. and and there's and one and one little lady has an Argentine Mauser across her lap, <laughs> and it said that the um, the arm the Shining Path guerrillas kept coming in and stealing children to put them into the Shining Path. Uh, um, Insurgency. Right, to the guerrilla organization, the Shining Path, huh? Right. And so the Army couldn't stop it, but they came out, gave these mothers these, um, and they looked like a couple of 870s and um, and this and rifles, and it said the kidnapping stopped. I read that. I read that same article, and, uh, yeah, I thought it was absolutely amazing. And you could tell from the looks on their face, those they, were little ladies have, they, are, they weren't going to have any trouble at all using those shotguns. Those little ladies are nothing to mess with. And <laughs> you know the old the, the old adage about uh, about fear not any man, no matter what his size, but call on me in time of need, and I will equalize. And the, uh used to be engraved. It was a cult ad, and it is absolutely true. And, and that's one of the one of the things that uh, the dad always hammered was that gun rights is a women's issue, and we need to connect with the women. We need to get them shooting. Maybe they're not into riflery. Maybe they're not into crawling out on your belly and and in the teeth of a of a gale like we did down here in Phoenix a couple of years ago. And uh, who knows what I'm going to face when I go out? We're I plan on trying to make the. Uh, November 27th out in, uh, or 28th out in Buckeye. Oh, great. But, yeah, you, did, I'm, you did a super great article on the last event, on this, the one that last event you wrote about. I thought it was a great article. Well, and, I'm you know, we do, we do offer, you know, it's free. Free to women and free to children. Exactly. And, uh, and we have, uh, I'll tell you right now that uh, the women that do come to the event and the women that do decide, Hey, this is for me, and they uh, they take they they get the hat on. Those are some of the best folks that we have. The problem with the woman is when she says she's going to do something, she does it. It gets done. Uh, and uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, I'm 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 right with you. And the um, when when you when you Move or when you get them into that mood, then uh, it can it, things can happen. And um, I'm uh, uh, I, 
I really think that uh, the idea of self-defense is something that once you once you get women into the get them around their head, they don't have to be scared of somebody. They don't have to be. You know, my daughter's five feet nothing, and she weighs a hundred pounds. You know, she takes after me. She gets her size from me, and she there's no way that she she can take all the martial arts she wants to. And she's not going to be able to hit a thug hard enough to make any difference. Uh, but if she if she pulls a little 380 out of her purse, and you know the 380 in your purse is a whole lot better than the 45 in your gun safe, the gun you have. That's right. So that's right. That's exactly right. And you know we, uh, I'm just going to jump in with a plug for us here, and that mm-hmm. is that uh, <clears throat> around the nation, you know, you always hear the the new thing, which is. Uh, Practical, uh, like practical rifle <clears throat> uh, clinics, etc. And uh, and these are good things. Uh, believe me, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not a person that's going to uh, down any other uh, firearm program because that's not what we do. But I'm just going to say this: is that uh, at the Appleseed Project, when you come to the event, we teach you to shoot. Out to 400 meters with iron sights, with whatever rifle you showed up with, uh, whatever rifle you happen to have in your hands, whatever rifle you pick up off the ground. And uh, for me, I don't see a more practical course than that. Uh, you know, we're we're teaching you to shoot whatever you have and whatever you can pick up, and uh, and that's what we'll do uh, day in, day out, every weekend of the year. Uh, as I was saying earlier, we're doing it every weekend of the year now. There's not a single weekend in uh, in the year across the United States that you're not going to find multiple Appleseed events. I'm I'm just totally impressed with the program, and I and uh, I'm you know my hat's off to Fred. I've never seen anybody that promoted something like this, and it's just this slow crank and get them out, get it done, and here we are with a with a nationwide program that I think qualifies as a movement. And what I really like about it is that the the thing that we're shooting, the thing that you see Appleseed shooting is any what gun's most appropriate, the one you have. Well, do I need any special equipment? A gun? Do I need um and can I? Can anybody participate in this? I got to feed my dog. Can anybody? Uh, and can anybody participate in this? If they can learn gun safety, it is a great, great program, and I and I, I'm just uh, so impressed with the um, with the level of training. And this is the thing. I, I'm uh, well. Last year. I went to uh, one of the big firearms training uh, uh, clinics, did a did a defensive pistol class, and was totally impressed. But I was no less impressed with Appleseed and uh, the cost of uh, the cost of the comparative cost of the two. Appleseed <laughs> get more bang for your buck. I did indeed. I did indeed. And, I, that's one of the things I heard you guys. Um, I talked to one of the guys at uh, the Gun Rights Policy Conference, uh, to Stacy, I believe. Had yeah. A shout yeah. Out Stacey to Nelson. Him. He was there at the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Yep. And 
I uh, um, he and I were talking. He told me about the Fort Stewart uh, class. I believe it was Fort Stewart. Fort Stewart, yeah, and that's going to be on our program next weekend. We'll have the audio tapes from uh, several of the uh, several of the classes during the the week of instruction they gave out there, and it'll be narrated by uh, some of the instructors that that taught the course out there, and uh, and we we gave instruction to the uh, to the U.S. Army soldiers who are getting ready to deploy. I think that absolutely rocks because these guys were these are National Guard troops. And uh, no, the National Guard is not the militia, but they are citizen citizen soldiers nonetheless. And these guys are going to war, taught by a bunch of volunteers. These guys rock. (laughs) (laughs) These guys absolutely rock. And to to me, that is, um, and it should probably shame the United States Army because, and I was in Jimmy Carter's army, and it wasn't much to be impressed with, real frankly. Um, I know that, well, I've got a son who is uh, now in Marine R- uh, Marine NROTC, and uh, one of the things that um, I, I, the the tradition of the rifleman has really faded now that we're, now that we're in a long-range war, people are starting to understand a little bit better. You need that. They, sometimes that 300-yard headshot is important. Well, so, the, I was in uh, probably right around the same time as you, and uh, yeah. and uh, I did six years, and uh, until I until I ended up in a you know a specialized operations unit, uh, we we didn't pay any attention to rifle marksmanship, even when I was with a uh, line infantry unit. Uh, we didn't do much shooting, which I always considered curious because we're going to be expected to uh, to perform our job mainly with our rifles. And, uh, and I, always, I just I, I just, always wondered why in in the military why a guy wouldn't go out and and why the battalion commander wouldn't say we now have a rifle league. You are a member, and you will. Participate. I, I really don't understand that. Well, I think they're doing it more now, but uh, even now and and back then, I think a lot of it, from what I've talked to the guys, it was uh, was about ammunition. You know, about uh, uh, about having enough supplies uh, for uh, for folks to train with. You know, you only had a certain amount, certain allotment of it. And when you think about it now, they. Uh, Say we get a uh, uh, you know a group of a hundred uh, soldiers, less than a company. We get a hundred soldiers to come to an apple seed. <clears throat> They're going to have to bring forty thousand rounds with them, mm-hmm. and uh, because that's what we shoot, and uh, that's a lot of ammunition for a hundred well, guys. They don't have any trouble burning gasoline, burning jet fuel, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've noticed that they I've noticed that they the the pilots stay proficient with their with their craft. And I really think a rifleman should also be proficient with his craft. And, and if they do it with 1022 1022s and that little sight kit that gives you the same the military sight picture then so so much better. I'm I've been trying to find uh 
uh, I've been needing to load up some thirty out six and uh, finding bullets. I think I found some online now. I'm gonna that are uh, you know not extravagantly expensive. Well, the, the government is always thinking from the wrong end, right? Because, uh, as we know, as we're being told, they are the most proficient organization to run anything. But I would think oh. that whenever you got a round count, whenever you uh, went to the records and you said, okay, rounds expended versus uh, enemy killed, and the tally comes up to, we're a little bit over a million and a half, almost two million rounds uh, that we fired in order to kill one enemy soldier. Then I would say, listen, this to me, this uh, this calls for some marksmanship training, and uh, that's where you get the money back. You know, oh, absolutely! Investing investing the money on the other end, so that you didn't have to fire a million rounds, uh, you know, to uh, take down one enemy soldier. Yep. <clears throat> now we are well, basically to. I don't know. the The saying is that to err is human, and to really to really screw things up requires a computer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm convinced that uh, governmental screw ups are like no other, and you get people killed. You get people that are not able to shoot. Uh, oh, the that thing during the invasion of Baghdad, um, when the uh, when the cooks and the mechanics made the wrong turn, the guy that saved them. The guy that really kept that thing from from going even further south was a deer hunter, and he crawled over. He, he forded up behind a uh, behind a Humvee, uh, and he was actually down in the bar ditch, and took up a prone position. And he was taking out guys that were approaching the uh, that were approaching the convoy. And he basically, I don't know if he won a medal, but he certainly should have. This guy was a cook, and but he acted as a rifleman. So, you know, hats well, off that to would, him. That would certainly fit into uh, that would certainly fit into our uh, our spiel. Uh, you know, because we dig we, that out. I, we, I, we I, I saw an interview that. with him. I saw an interview with him. I'm gonna have to dig that out. It's a, it's a good story, but that thing is. It it was a cluster in the military sense to begin with, but it was uh, but it would have been even worse uh, had he not uh, grabbed his rifle and headed for the ditch. Well, uh, would you like to? Uh, if you guys would like to call in, and if you have any questions for Chris, I'm I'm assuming you wouldn't mind answering them, would you? I'd be happy to. I'm topic uh, and it's open, whatever. All right. Well, uh, the call in number is three four seven three zero eight. Eight seven nine zero. Uh, I still have not. Uh, here we are, hour and a half into the program, and uh, I cannot get my software to open up the uh, online chat program. Perhaps some of you have it open. If you can, uh, put the make sure the number is out, and then uh, uh, make sure the folks know that they are welcome uh, to call in. And, and uh, if you have any questions for Mr. Knox, you're welcome to uh, to call in. He just said he's willing and welcome to answer them. Uh, we have one guy on the line right now who uh, was actually at the uh, Fort Stewart event, and uh, I'll bring him on with us. Sam, you're on the air. Good to good to see you here. Hello, Sam. Can you hear me? He's probably listening. 
Uh, are you there? Yes, Sam. We're here. Evening, Scout. Hi, Mr. Knox. Glad to have you with us tonight. Hey, it's my pleasure. This is uh, Sam D. Sam is an instructor with the program, and he was out at Fort Stewart uh, this uh, last month. So he can fill us in on that. Hey, Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scout. Uh, Fort Stewart was uh, a great opportunity to get out and work with some uh, some dedicated Americans out there doing their part. And uh, it, it was just a real honor to to be able to go out there and uh, maybe help them out a bit. And uh, everybody up there with us uh, all felt the same. They're just a great bunch of people, and we love working with them. Yeah, they were the they're the actual uh, they're your neighbors. They're your uh, your doctors and your uh, the guy who works on your house, and uh, they're they're the citizen soldiers. Uh, who made a tradition of defending the nation. And uh, as uh, as Chris was saying, uh, it, it was a perfect setup. You have volunteers uh, instructing the uh, volunteers, the, uh, the citizen uh, militias that, uh, that are the, the organized state militias and guards. And when, when we talked history with them, uh, they connected real fast. You know, it's oh, farmers sure and shopkeepers, do. working stiffs. And, uh, I, I, they, I they... think that's... Yeah, yeah, I, I think that what you guys did there, and, I, and uh, Stacy at... Uh, this was still in, in the works when I spoke with Stacy at the Gun Rights Policy Conference, and I was totally impressed with the the whole idea of it. And I'm I'm really impressed with the National Guard for being willing to to put people out there for that. And uh, this is uh, this is one of those things that uh, some good things come together and get some great results. I'm, uh, I look forward to hearing more about it. I'm reading a little bit about it. I see on IndianaGunOwners.com there's a little bit about it. Uh, well, next week program. we'll be. We'll be playing some audio next week, I believe, but uh, of all the instructors out there, uh, everyone was impressed with the guard, and uh, they, they were all just, it was an honor for us to, to be able to go out there. We were fortunate in, uh, in being able to arrange it because we have an Appleseed member who is a member of that unit, and he arranged that for us, and uh, we're very thankful to him for that. Well, I'm hoping, too, that this will open the door uh, to further uh, apple seeds with, uh, with the uh, state and national forces because uh, that's what we do, you know. If you look at uh, that's another group that, uh, that we offer free. Uh, if you're an active duty guard, uh, reserve, uh, any active duty military person, then... Uh, you can come to an event for free. You can bring your wife for free and your kids for free. Uh, that's what we do. When we That serves the interests of our nation. And uh, we get guys here all the time. I tell the guys that uh, they come to an Appleseed event, especially those guys who are getting ready to, uh, to deploy somewhere, just go back and get your buddies. Get your buddies and get them to come with you because uh, you don't want to have this old job of, uh, of taking care of everybody in the unit. 
you know, get your buddies to come back and make sure that uh, they can take care of themselves and uh, uh, and take care of you too at the same time. And uh, we're always willing to uh, uh, to offer this free to any of the uh, any of the state or national guard or any of the active duty uh, services. Uh, we'll put together a program and uh, bring it to them free, turnkey operation, uh, targets, instructors, uh, everything, and uh, you know, walk in the door ready to do it. I think it's really interesting that I've had this thought before, and this is uh, this is even more. This is kind of a subversive thing. It's one of the unintended consequences of uh, that. Bush has reaped that Bush reaped by taking this nation to war was that uh, there's a lot of guys that never had any thought about guns and hadn't really hadn't really thought about it one way or the other and suddenly their their lives are depending on their rifle and on their ability to use it and I think that some of those guys are finding out that it's kind of a fo- uh, that it focuses the mind. And that's one reason that the AR-15 platform is the most popular uh, rifle being sold right now. Oh, yeah. Back, and back in the day, back in the 50s and post-war days, well, everybody wanted to have a cool, sporterized uh, Springfield. And now they're uh, now everybody wants to make their M forgery. Yeah. <laughs> So, hey, I'll, this, I'll still take the Springfield. No, I'll tell you what, I've, I've got a Springfield. Man, that thing is hard to shoot. Thin little blade front sight, but I've got a lot of respect for the rifle. Man, I, I imagine lugging that log in a, through a trench at, in the Somme. It just uh, it, it brings to focus. It's one thing that it's one thing to read about being in there. It's another thing to crawl down on the crawl down in the dirt and and shoot that thing. Well, I I shoot a grand, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's hard for me to it it's hard for me to wrap my my hands around anything else because I truly love that rifle. You know, I yeah. used to I used uh, you name it, and I shot it and used it in in the armed forces. You know, mm-hmm. even uh, uh, and even at one point were issued uh, AK-47s and uh, mm-hmm. and used those things. And uh, but I'm telling you, I love my grand. It's yeah, I've got one myself. Big fat, heavy <laughs> chunk of wood and steel, but uh, you know, it, but it'll put the rounds out on the target at 500 meters, 800 if, meters, a thousand. If the balloon's up, you can shoot. You can take that one, and it'll take care yeah. of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've I, had I'm a bunch of uh, I've had a bunch of our local troops that uh, are going to be heading out in a couple of months, and I took them out for a mini on Saturday. And we took a couple of M4s and an A2, and and uh, they went out and were able to get some some additional proficiency with it. I took my M1. I can't go to the range without taking my M1. And by the time the day was over, they were wondering if there was some way they could get issued one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were talking about that story, uh, the story about the, uh, the uh, I believe you said he was a cook. Uh, but he was with the transportation unit, I know, at the mm-hmm. time. But uh, we get those folks in here all the time. And I tell them, I said, listen, this is not, uh, where you're going is not a conventional uh, 
in that sense of the word, uh, confrontation, which means no, it's, that, it's uh, an insurgency. Yeah, wherever it's an you are, in the front yeah, whatever of the job you are doing, you can expect you better you better know how to use your issued firearm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, I I was talking with um, um, I was talking with one of the guys. Where was this? Um, oh, it was at at Gun Rights Policy Conference, and he had. Uh, and he was in Iraq on a, as a government contractor, and he was not of a of a grade or a position where he could where he could strap on and carry. And uh, the general was in that area was not of such a mind to to permit it, which says something about the general. But anyway, he's in there with um, they were in an office, and these gals didn't know. There were a bunch of girls in there that they were issued their rifles, but they did not even qualify with them. And uh, they um, they just knew which end the bullets came out. And they said that if anything ever happened, he was going to have a whole lot of rifles because they were counting on him. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it was. Right. Right. And then you hear... Uh just like in any insurgency situation, that's where uh, some of the some of the most uh, heartbreaking and some of the most exciting stories from come from because these aren't uh, professionally trained uh, soldiers who are forced into these situations. Uh, you're talking about uh, guard units who who've had a bunch of training, uh, but you know a month ago they were at their desk. Uh, or as a sales rep for some company, or uh, or they were civilian contractors caught up in this, and uh, and basically, I think it all returns back to the idea that that we need to be we need to be continually passing down this tradition. As you said earlier, this is the the only sport endorsed by the founding fathers. And when you were talking about the uh, the unintended consequences of Bush, <clears throat> that's one of the main problems that we face now. Uh, when you and I were growing up, uh, I don't know how it was with you. Well, I'm sure I, I can guess how it was with you with your father. But uh, in that time period, a lot of folks, uh, it was second nature. Everybody had a rifle, uh, at least rurally. All the people I knew did. Uh, you know, you... Oh, I care. I carry rifles on the school bus. Right, exactly. <laughs> you could do that, yep. and and everybody shot, everybody hunted. Yeah, I remember. I remember getting a rifle uh, uh, as a reward. I got a uh, a Marlin three three six from the FFA, and uh, uh, it was in the box. But I took the box with me uh, onto the bus and. And took it home. I had to have a note saying I could do it, but uh, I took that home. <clears throat> the problem is now is that millions of Americans are growing up without ever having laid their hands on a firearm, without ever understanding uh, any of the traditions, any of the uh, uh, the proper usage of it, the reasons behind it, anything, nothing. They never touched it which means they have no vested interest whatsoever in uh, in retaining 
the right to keep and bear that firearm. They could care less. They've never used a firearm. They know nothing about it. What is it? If it's taken away, what are they going to lose? Nothing. And yet, they're still voting. Uh, even with this, what I call a handicap, even with this handicap, they're still voting, which means they could be voting that the right is meaningless, that means nothing, and we don't need those anymore. And uh, that, well, I think that's one at, of the dangers that we face. Look at who we have sitting in the White House that, he has. He said flatly, he doesn't. Uh, he's not a shooter, not a hunter, never was, and he's not even going to go on the ritual uh, duck hunt that presidents traditionally do. So well, he's not going to give that story about uh, playing the de- playing the game with the deer and the deer playing the game with him. Yeah. <laughs> At least that's not going to happen. So there, you know, we do. We have to be thankful for small favors. Well, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, ask, Mister Knox? While we've got him on the hook here, Sam. Uh, we could have lost Sam because. What's uh, Sam? Okay. Uh, I think that we could have lost him because he. Uh, hold on, just a second. See if I can get him back here. <clears throat> okay, you back there with us? I'm back. I got cut off down at this end. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. I uh, uh, I just uh, wanted to ask Mr. Knox if he could outline for our folks uh, some uh, more effective ways or wording that we could use contacting legislators when we're dealing with them. A little better way to go about it, maybe. And uh, and thank you for coming on the show tonight. Well, well, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure, and this is and I'm I'm just thrilled with this program. It just amazes me, and uh, I'm uh, want to support it in every way I can. the The thing to do when you're the thing the main thing to remember one of the things it's an item in the book, in fact, um, that Dad talked about was when you talk to a legislator, and you really should talk to a legisl- your legislature every chance you get when he has a town hall, when uh, you might even get a chance to go to go visit him in his office. And I'm saying him, and it may be her, and that's fine. And it's just when you go, there's a certain way that you can talk. A lot of times somebody will go to go and ask the legislator about what about the Second Amendment or what about the gun rights? And they'll turn it around and they'll say, well, what do you think? And then you go off and, you know, we're some of us do kind of tend to like the sounds of our own voices, and we start talking and start waxing eloquent about the Second Amendment and the Founding Fathers. And you leave knowing what you think, but you still don't know what he thinks. Right. And so when you talk... In fact, I had a city council, uh, my block watch uh, committee had a uh, city council candidate in here. And uh, out here in Phoenix, we had an interesting incident with the, uh, or actually there was no incident, but there was an interesting event. Uh, when Obama came, uh, the guy showed up with his M forgery on his, uh, at Sling Arms on his shoulder, mm-hmm. and um you know, black man with a gun. So uh, I I asked the city council candidate, 
you know, we had this uh, this thing happened. Uh, do you have any? Have you given any thought to whether the city should do anything about such things, about perhaps restricting guns on city property or anything like that? And I asked it in an open-ended way that he didn't know whether I was the whether I was who I am or whether I was the representative, local representative of the Brady Bunch. So I'm trying to, and the reason for that, and I wasn't trying to mislead him. I would just wasn't, I wasn't showing all my cards. Right, and it you don't great. always need to show all your cards. And you so want to know what he thinks, not an answer. Yeah, you want to know what he thinks, <clears throat> and you want him to, and and if he gives you an honest answer, thank him for an honest answer, and say, you know, I disagree, and and there may be some, we may be able to talk about that, and. If you can let them know that gun owners are not hooligans, they're not revolutionaries, they're not, uh, we're not here to disrupt. And I, the, all the fuss at the town hall meetings, I didn't. I, I'm really not into rudeness because I don't think that it's effective. But if you come off polite, professional, and and straightforward, you can, uh, you'll do better. And as for a letter, the main thing in the letter these days, email gets, uh, they, they do count up the email. It won't get read. All they're going to look is when you send an email, put in the subject for bill such and such, against bill such and such, whatever. And do it in a way that they know from the subject line what they're reading because they have thousands of them. If it's convenient for you, it's convenient for somebody else. If you want something that somebody will read, write a handwritten note. You know, At the very least typed and uh, and on nice stationery. But a handwritten note, uh, if you've got if your handwriting is such that somebody else can read it, then uh, that is a uh, that is a good option, and that's something somebody will pay attention to. Another nice trick is a postcard. Uh, if you if you can. Uh, Keep a, I knew a guy that kept a stack of postcards. He's a great activist. He kept a stack of postcards in his desk. And whenever he wanted to say something, he saw somebody come up, he would dash off a postcard as easy as an email, drop it in the mail, it would show up, and it had an effect. And he very quickly found himself. He had sent several of them, called a few people. Before long, he became one of his, one of his representatives, bellwether people, that... They could, uh, his representative could know what the what the firearms community folks thought by talking to him, and if you become that, you can you can have a lot of influence. Well, we have we have that we actually do cover that in our soft war pro, soft war program. It's called the sixty second letter, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about. Is having the postcards, the blank postcards sitting there, stamped, ready to go. Just like you said, it only takes sixty seconds or less. Uh, to hey Scout, I've got it. I just had a thought, and I've I've had this idea rattling around in my head for years, and I've mentioned it to a few people, but I bet that you guys will take this and go with it. Hit it. You know what I'd like to have is, along with the apple seed instructors, and there's nothing to keep the apple seed instructors from being deputy registrar. And if you're going to come up here and you're going to shoot, if you're going to and, and you're going to wallow around in all this history, you are. By dang, going to participate in our our 
in the in the form formation of the republic through a democracy. The registry and people to vote. Exactly. That and sounds so like a grand it, idea to me. I don't know how much we can get involved with that as a nonprofit, but uh, but, but it, because I don't know what the regs are. But registering to vote is certainly a nonprofit thing. You're not registering. They can register Democrat, Republican, Communist if they want to. That's right. They reg just register to vote. And That's right. Because I promise you that the union rep does. I promise you that the Acorn representative does. And I'm. I've often thought I always wanted to have in, in, in shooting have a registered match. And by registered, if you want to shoot, you got to be registered to vote. <laughs> I gotta say I, that uh, that doesn't sound bad to me at all. I'm I'm I know that we've been doing uh, here in Arizona. Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association does a lot of, uh, uh, and the Arizona uh, Civil Citizens Defense League (AZCDL) also does a lot of uh, registration at gun shows. And I am sure that the local state association would be able to put you into some some uh, deputy registrars who would not feel uncomfortable at a range, at a shooting range, and they would be more than happy to do the uh, to register some voters. Well, listen. Also, on that same note, uh, I have uh, uh, I had to get involved in a bunch of other. You know, when I started doing the radio show, I had to get involved in a bunch of other uh, things, computer stuff. Uh, and I'm not that really big of a computer person. Uh, my life was very simple before computers and cell phones, <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed computers that. Don't save time; they rearrange it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed <laughs> that the the, uh, the freedom and the simplicity of life. Then, that being said, though, uh, now that I'm uh, and I am stuck doing this, <clears throat> you know, there's a there are a lot of different ways of contacting your senators and representatives. It doesn't have to be just uh, uh, the traditional methods. One of the things that I found is I had to uh, set up a Twitter account. It's one of the social networking things, and uh, I found that that is a semi-viable backdoor uh, to actually speak, in, you know, directly to some of the folks. As a matter of fact, I've, I've been talking to one of the guys, one of your guys there, uh, who is a uh, candidate for the United States Senate. And uh, he said he's actually uh, uh, excited. I'm not going to mention his name. But he said he's very excited uh, about uh, getting involved with Appleseed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a, a random thing for me, looking up the, the senators and representatives and then beginning to contact them through Twitter. And I didn't think I was going to get anything, but I've actually gotten very good responses uh, in person from a lot of the uh, – uh, senators, representatives, and especially candidates. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the candidates are very responsive, and and Twitter is a useful tool. In fact, I just I saw your Twitter thing, and I punched that and uh, put something on my Twitter page, my mournfully neglected Twitter page. It's almost <laughs> as neglected as my Facebook page. I just you know I I work in the IT industry and uh, in my day job, and I. 
uh, I stare at a computer all day long, and it is it gets to be a lot of work after a while. Right, but like you said, this uh, this is this is where we are. You know, exactly. This is, this is what we're this is where we are now. There's no getting around that. Now I've still got a bunch of guys, uh, the old timers and stuff that uh, don't have computers. If I don't have a computer, I'm not going to get one. Uh, so you can call me or you can write me a letter. Uh, let me know when the events are, and I do, uh, because uh, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, I uh, I've got to the point where I hate. Uh, I don't want to say hate, but uh, I resent the amount of time it takes me to peck out uh, the answers to hundreds of emails and stuff because it takes oh, me forever. But if I don't do it, then uh, then uh, you know, then I'm being neglectful of it. But it takes a huge amount of time. I've been trying to tell everybody, just call me. Call me on the phone. We'll figure it all out in just a few minutes. And uh, and sometimes yeah, it works. It, there's so many communication channels these days, and it's hard. Sometimes the big decision is which one to use first, and which one is most effective. Right, but there are there are many ways. Uh, that you can contact your reps. The 60-second letter is a perfect example, uh, and it's such an effective one. Uh, I want to go back real quick just for a second and touch on that, the story, the town hall meeting you were talking about that you were at, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because I happened to, I was following that, and I got upset about the disingenuous, I think about the, the 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 studied uh, misleading coverage of that from oh, yeah. the media. Oh, and uh, MSNBC was a poster child for that, implying racism when the guy that was carrying the rifle was black. Yeah, did you notice they 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 wouldn't show the guy; they just showed a a cropped close up shot yep. of the strap and the rifle on his on his uh, shoulder. They wouldn't show him or his yep. color. But they said, oh, you know, they were implying that it was racist uh, right-wing fanatics out mm-hmm. there the whole time and refusing to, to put the full shot of him up there. Yeah. And that is one thing that here in Arizona, you never know who you're talking to. And we're, um, uh, you get, you get west of the Rockies and, uh, a lot of a lot of the ethnic lines start to really get blurred, break down, and you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who their family is. So uh, when people start and if people start using uh, throwing stereotypes around, they do so at their peril because they're liable to embarrass themselves. So it is uh, that's one of the things that I love about the West is that uh, it's it can be. Um, a lot of the old forms kind of kind of break down, and uh, some of the some of the ones that need to break down have broken down, and so that's that's a good thing. Well, Sam, listen, I see neighbor. we're getting I see we're getting close to the top of the hour, Scout. I do appreciate the uh, the opportunity to uh, to talk with you. This is has absolutely been a treat, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to shooting with you guys again. Well, listen. We got we got nine off. seconds here, as the the English lady always tells us. Before we go, real quick, uh, I never could get the uh, the chat program to open up. So let's uh, let's give out the 
the websites again. Number one for your uh, for the book that you just finished that is that is uh, that's going to be the gun rights the gun rights war dot com the gun rights war one word dot com. Now you can get the book there, and then uh, if you'd like to follow along uh, with uh, Mr. Knox and the rest of the Knox clan, uh, you can go to firearmscoalition.org. That's firearmscoalition, one word, dot org. And uh, Chris, thank you so much. This has been it's been a treat for us also. And uh, I told you earlier that uh, Fred has asked if you would consider uh, coming on coming on again in a couple of months so that we can get uh, we can get the uh, notice out in Shotgun News. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Uh, we're uh, we're planning a little bit in advance here, and uh, we can we can get it on the calendar. Uh, pick a date, and when you have the date, well, let me know, and maybe we can get Jeff and me up here. Jeff's a radio guy. He, Jeff's a radio guy. He replaces. He sits in for Tom Gresham now and again. Does better than I do. Well, that would be great. That would be excellent. Thanks I'll a bet lot, love Chris, it. and uh, and tell the rest of your tribe that we said thank you. And uh, Sam, thank you for calling in. And we will catch you guys again uh, next Tuesday for another edition of the show. And uh, once again, if you're interested in finding out more about this, uh, more about uh, the uh, Firearms Coalition, go to firearmscoalition.org. If you'd like to pick up the new book, The Gun Rights War, then go to thegunrightswar.com. Chris, Sam, thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to everyone listening, and we'll see you again uh, next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Good night, everyone. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.